Thank you so much for being here tonight. We hope that you're going to be encouraged. We're doing a new series called Let It Rain, and it's based out of the Beatitudes, and it is specifically there to speak to the challenges that are all around us right now. So what we want to do is we want to load you up. We want to equip you with the answers of how do we navigate all the chaos that's around us. Before I do that, speaking of chaos, if you are, Gentry, is it age six or grade six? Age six on up to 43 years of age. Um, back in the left corner, we're gonna have the kids go out to the sport court area. You guys can go uh, wave your hand, Vanna White. She's waving her hand, kids age six on up. You can go over to where Mrs. Cook is and she's got a, a fun class for you guys. And uh, uh, so feel free. But if I see any adults go, that's it, no popsicles. Speaking of which, so I watched a couple individuals last week after service just go real quick. Like they didn't stick around to talk to anybody. They just went real quick over to the popsicles over here on the benches afterwards. And they just sat down and were languishing in their popsicle. And so I, I was kind of inspired by that. And uh, I'm not sure what we've got, but you know, these are sanitary, right? You know, they come in pre-packaged, so you're all, these are, you're not supposed to do that, right? All you moms out there, don't break those things with your teeth. You know, we paid, we paid for braces. Oh, I'll verify, these are good. I'll verify it. Remember that? Mm, yep, that, that's good. I actually like my mushy. So, and a little bit, a little bit warmer, and uh, oh yeah, that's that's good right there. Uh, you know what? Please forgive me. Where are my manners? I'm sitting up here eating popsicles while you guys are out there struggling. I see the struggle on your face. So I would like to know: Does it? Would anybody? Would any of you like a popsicle? All you have to do is get up from where you are and come get it. You gotta make this faster. I have to let go of the illustration though, because you know. I don't know, they're pretty pat well the one I was I was uh, on was grape. Okay? But you know, you, you take yeah, Ron, come on up. Let's give a big hand to Ron, because he knows if Pastor Jeremy's doing an illustration, Bob, tell him what he's won. Okay. So I just have a real simple question for you. Would you like the one that I prepared? Or would you like the prepackaged Unadulterated. I did. You want this one? Even though I'm disappointed in your answer? I worked hard on this. Oh, no, no. You, you can just go with this one. You can just go with this one. Thank you, Ron. Enjoy that. Don't spend it all in one place. Depending on what flavor it is, yeah. So you may say, where are we going with popsicles? How many of you are ready for the kingdom of heaven? How many of you are ready to inherit the earth? Yeah? Because I'll tell you right now, the earth I'm on is like this. Is that the earth you're on? The earth I'm on is falling apart. It's smushy. It's... Uh, 
it's been used really badly. Do you see where I'm going with this? We have a paradox issue with our sermon series. So let me get to it. Let's pray. Father, speak. Speak to our hearts. Lift our souls up. Feed our soul today. Thank you for the beautiful weather. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together. We pray that your spirit and your word combine to inspire us and illuminate us for change. Let us be the salt of the earth. Let us be the light to the world. Let us be a city on a hill. Thank you, Father. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Amen. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5. That's where we are. And I'm going to take you to going back to the idea that we have a paradox. That on one level, what Jesus is saying is blessed, right? The Beatitudes. You are blessed, and we'll define that for you again. You are blessed if you do this seemingly very difficult and unhappy thing. And oh, by the way, if you are blessed because you do this really challenging thing, you get this in response. And so there's this pattern as Jesus lays it out. But if you follow down deeper into his discourse, see, he had been healing people around the region of the Galilee, and he removed himself from those people, and he got up on a hillside, and his disciples, the scripture tells us, followed him. They wanted more. They wanted something deeper. I pray that tonight you are here because you want something deeper. Amen? Amen. Robbie, it's good to see you, man. All right, brother. I'm going to do that nonstop just so I, I make sure. You know, Robbie's got the sunglasses on. I don't know if he's sleeping or what. What he's doing. There you are. So I'm really, really looking at this idea that the challenge that you and I have with this paradox is that it seems like what Christ is calling us to is the impossible, right? It's the impossible. But Jesus lays this out at the beginning of his ministry, and what we see happen, we have the advantage to look back at his ministry and his life over three and a half years, and we see this is exactly who Jesus is. In, in essence, what's happening is Jesus is giving us a forecast of exactly what he's going to do while here on earth. And so if he's asking that we would respond to the world around us so that the kingdom may grow, so that we don't have a damaged blessing, he gives us the roadmap of what we're supposed to do. And what a blessing in that, that today, in all of the crisis, all the chaos, we're constantly asking ourselves, how should we respond how does God want us to respond and react to all the chaos that's going on around us? Listen to where we got the title to this sermon series. If you go deeper into Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48, Jesus says this. You have heard it, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. How many of you have ever heard that? Right? That's kind of self-proclaimed, right? Your enemy is not someone that you really love. That by proxy... That is your enemy. So Jesus is speaking plainly. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be what? 
sons of your Father who is in heaven. You see, this is somewhat conditional, brothers and sisters, that if we want to claim God, if we want to claim faith, if we want to claim Christ, it is not something where we can treat others that disagree with us as enemies. That's not Christ-like. He's saying, if you want to be known as who? Sons of your father, what do you do? He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. As I look out, I know many of you do exactly this very thing. And I commend you for it. But if I'm going to hand you a, a fix-all, right? If I'm going to hand you uh, your, your uh, antibiotics, so to speak, to the chaos that's going on around you, here's your first one, right? How many of your parents, or maybe some of us have it, right? You have the pill box, and you got 18 pills you got to take every day, and it's labeled Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday, right? And then you've got like an extra day just, you know, with no pills, just to make yourself feel better. I'll take that day off, but that day never comes. This is one of those pills. What did he say? He said, love your enemies. Do you have any enemies? Ooh. If you're visiting right now, you're like, what? What's this preacher preaching? Do you have any enemies? Are you in conflict with anyone right now? What does it say you're to do? What does Jesus say you're to do? You are to love those individuals. And you are to pray for pill one, Monday's pill. Start there. Start there. And then it says this. Because we have this paradox, don't we? We're supposed to love our enemies. Jesus acknowledged it. He said, you've heard it said you're supposed to uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We all get that. That's easy. But then he says, but I tell you, you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And here's where we get the title for our sermon series. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Now think about this. All of the Beatitudes he's already shared, right? This is later on in the discourse. So he's coming back and he's doubling down on what he's handed out that's really, really hard. Paradoxically, it's really challenging to do what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, in verse 45 or 48, I'll read it in a minute. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect how many of you have accomplished that already raise your hand oh really really uh, i was just seeing if anybody would turn around and look who i was pointing at nobody raised their hand <laughs> so jesus says for if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Then he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. There's a paradox problem here for us, friends. Is that we're living in a chaos in a world that wants to divide people. Can I suggest to you, here's Tuesday's pill. Can I suggest to you, 
the field is wide open for you to do exactly what Jesus said. We spend so much time wondering how we can be light to the world. We spend so much time wondering how can we be a city on a hill or salt to the earth. What Jesus is saying, I tell you now, there is never a more fertile moment than right now for us to practice the Beatitudes. And to let the Father do his work through you that lives would be changed. And I mean changed. We have a paradox issue. Let me hand you a syllogism. If there is injustice around us and God is sovereign, is God therefore unjust? I mean, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Logically, if God is sovereign and he's in control of all of this, right? We believe the scriptures tell us that. But this place is a squished up popsicle. Are you telling me that that's what God designed and that's what God desires? And here we go to the end of the message. Remember I asked you that the illustration with the popsicle, how many want to inherit this earth? This earth is broken. This earth is not broken because God broke it. God sustains it. God keeps it from completely falling apart. But God has said in his right time, he will reestablish it. That what we inherit is not going to be the broken thing. You remember at Christmas, right? When, when your brother or sister got the new thing and you got the hand-me-down and you're just kind of looking at it and you're like, why? I would like the shiny new thing. You're getting a little window into my, my Christmas. It was so sad. No, I'm just kidding. Chris, that never actually happened too badly. We're using three ideas this morning, or this morning. Sorry, I can't help myself. We're using three ideas as we move through this sermon series, and now we're going to get into the beatitude of, of sprinkled, soaked, and drenched. That if the idea that Jesus says what? He says, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. It's a play on words, brothers and sisters, that we want God's grace to reign in our life. You want to accomplish any of these beatitudes, you can't do it in and of yourself. That's what Jesus was in effect saying with the verse 48. He's saying, you have to be perfect as your father's perfect. Obviously, we can't. But Jesus demonstrates to us that when we walk in his ways, when we walk according to his commands, there are things we are able to see happen that far surpass anything we can do. Who has ever experienced that? Raise your hand. If you have ever experienced that, raise your hand. Praise God. Because that's what he's talking about. So let me give some definition about what it means for God's grace to reign on you. By the way, I hope it doesn't upset you because as he says that the Father's grace reigns on the just and the unjust, there are many people I've heard from who claim Christ and when they hear about mercy being extended to people who did something that they find so offensive, they're actually upset. Does that sound like the older brother and the prodigal son? Some things never change, my friends. So be wary of your own soul. Do you want God's mercy to reign on the unjust? 
This is the answer. This is the paradoxical answer. That if we don't see God's mercy reign on the unjust, nothing will change. You've heard it said so many times that the issues of racism or the issues of socioeconomic or the issues of, of uh, mental health or the issues of all these different issues, that they're, they're not endemic to being fixed by us. We have to look at them as sin issues and the heart being changed. And then we see change. Amen? So let's look this morning at what it means to be sprinkled, soaked, and drenched. When it comes to your walk with Christ, with what we're going to hear, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Are you ready to be meek? Are you ready to be meek in this big chaotic Discussion that we're having right now. I haven't met too many meek souls. I've met a lot of souls that want to let you know how they feel about things and, and rather pointedly and rather demonstrably. But when we look at what Jesus did and how Jesus did things, it sets the boundaries and the margins of how we walk through the challenges of the chaos around us. Because Jesus walked in a time that was vastly chaotic. So this is what it means to be sprinkled by his grace. His reign of his grace, or he will reign his grace even when we are undeserving. This is the Father giving his grace, that which we don't deserve, giving his grace upon the unjust. Alright? That's being sprinkled. Right? You step outside, you're walking around. You're doing something and it starts sprinkling. You get, you get a little flavor of it, right? Then the next thing is soaked. We, having been sprinkled with his grace, commit our whole selves. We don't go running indoors. We don't go running back to what we deem safety. We see that what is being sprinkled upon our life in the grace and as we react to it, that it is good. And we step back out so that we're soaked in that grace. Have you ever met a soaked believer? A soaked believer in the grace of God? Now we're starting to get to that point where we can actually see God do these things through us. And that we can experience that blessing. When we are soaked, we experience that blessing. Well, if, it's, if we're pretty wet at that point, by His grace, what does drench look like? We, having been immersed with his grace, completely submerged into his grace, become unrecognizable. Oh, that I could be that. Oh, that all you would see when you see Pastor Jeremy is Jesus Christ. I wish I could live that way. And the beauty of it is, is because of what was recorded in Scripture, I can see his approach. I can see his desire, right? Love your enemy. Pray for those who are against you. I can see that demonstration in his life. And we're going to cross-reference a couple things. So, this morning, or I did it again. <laughs> this evening, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I promise you that every week, as we go through this, I'll give you the very clear understanding of what Jesus is saying here. Let's start with blessed. And if you're writing anything down or you have a photographic memory, it's the same as it was last week. It's the idea of overwhelmingly satisfied and pleased regardless of circumstances. Is that where you are? 
You know, it's a good thing sports have stopped. Because if my baseball team loses, or, or Mike Trout doesn't get a home run, it kind of has an effect on me throughout the day. Or, or the next morning. If the Warriors get beat by the Phoenix Suns, I'm a little grumpy. So maybe it's good God took away sports right now. Anybody else that way? That they should get a little adversely affected by something as silly as sports? Oh, that I would be so drenched in his grace that those circumstances would not affect me. Are we starting to understand where this is going? Why Jesus preached this? Lord, let it rain upon me that I am overwhelmingly satisfied and pleased regardless of my circumstances. This is the promise from Christ. Now, here's the condition. You will be blessed if you are, and here's a word we just don't use, meek, right? It rhymes with squeak. I don't know. I don't, that wasn't in the notes. I just, you know, meek is just a weird word. How many of you have used it in a sentence this week? Go ahead. Right? We just don't say that. So here is my responsibility to help you understand from the King's English, what is he saying? Because I want that blessedness, right? Don't you? Don't you want that overwhelmingly satisfied and, ple and, and pleasing regardless of circumstances? This word means gentleness. It means gentleness. Now I want to pause for just a second. I want you to think of someone that exemplifies gentleness. And then I'm going to borrow from Christ. I'm going to borrow from his paradoxical preaching. I want you to think of someone not just who's peaceful right now. Y'all look very peaceful. I'm putting you to sleep. You're in the shade. You've had dinner. Um, you're, you're enjoying the outdoors. It's great. That's why I said squeak. It's just to test you. Think of someone in the middle of the storm that is gentle. In the middle of chaos is gentle. In the middle of persecution is gentle. You notice them, don't you? Those are the individuals. Those are the people that you seek out and you ask, how do you do it? How do you do it? And you have a calm, regular conversation that can actually change your life. Thinking about this idea of being meek, let me give a little bit more definition to it. This word is only used three other times in the entire New Testament. And each time the context defines the word as gentle. Let me give a little bit more flavor to it. It's the concept that I'm going to trust God rather than my own self-reliance or my own self-attitude. Right? My own self-centered attitude. Let me break that down a little bit for you. We live in a time of opinions, do we not? You can have an opinion on that, right? Of course, we live in a huge time of opinions. 
Everybody, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own what? Opinion. In the old Hebrew. Right? We've all turned to our own opinion. And now we can have an audience, right? We can blog, we can vlog, we can jog. Right? We can do all these things where we ask people to listen to us because we had got a bullhorn. We've been given the opportunity for each of us to have a huge opinion. Oh, that we would use this platform to present the one opinion that truly brings peace. Instead, what happens so much of the time is that those opportunities present the ugly in us, in those around us, that we approach with a self-centered attitude. I approach with a self-centered attitude. You know how you can measure this in your own life? Imagine yourself in a conversation with a group of people. Do you remain quiet? Or do you always need to interject and win the conversation? Now see, when I suggest that, you're thinking of someone else, right? You're thinking of that, this other person. And so my question to you is, now that you're starting to define what meek is, do you see how this is a paradox? That I stand to lose something if I don't stand up and fight for it, right? I mean, I'm watching commercials on TV where they're trying to sell cars and it's all about be a super uber aggressive woman that's going to take charge and go conquer the world. That's not a commercial for Matthew 5.5. 5. I mean, it's even gotten to the point where just to drive the proper car, we have to have super confidence and conquer the world. Jesus conquered the world, folks, and he did it being me. Amen? Amen. Amen, because that's where true power is. According to God, that's where he then can shine. He can do immensely and immeasurably more than we could possibly imagine. Amen? So if the idea here is that we trust in God rather than my own self-centered attitudes, let me read a passage to, to you out of Psalms. It's Psalm 37, 9 through 11. And then I'll wrap up with some encouraging words. <clears throat> Psalm 37, 9 through 11. This is from the Old Testament, and God is describing. Well, you'll hear it. I don't need to set it up. Listen carefully. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Now, Jehovah, Father, gives this promise all the way back during the Psalms. And yet, Jesus reiterates this promise before his disciples and before us. That God is good. He makes his grace rain on the just and the unjust. And Jesus himself said, I go to prepare a place for you. If it weren't true, I would have told you. And so he has something beautiful. He has a beautiful popsicle, unadulterated, waiting for you and I. The question is, do we believe that on a daily basis? So much so that we look at this promise. If we approach all the difficulties around us through the strength of God, through the strength of Christ, in a meek and humble heart, are we looking forward to the land that we inherit that God has promised? 
That's really hard for me to keep my mind focused on that, right? When I've got calls, I've got texts, I've got emails, I've got study to do, I've got things I've got to order, I've got to, I've got to get my, my Starbucks order correct, right? It just throws me off when that's wrong. And so here we see all the way back in, in verse 9 of 37 this, that God promises that those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Then he says, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. How many of us feel that we can fight injustice by being gentle? That's not what's presented to us. And that's the paradox. Do you see that? That's the paradox that we've got to get out. We've got to be demonstrative. We've got to fight. We've got to take the streets. We've got to... Jesus took the streets by caring for people. Amen? Amen? Jesus took the streets by loving people, by healing people. The world was chaotic when he walked in. And, and let me take you there in a minute or right now. I'll give you some illustrations of how Christ demonstrated this and how he engaged in the culture around him so we can look to the example of Christ to inform us how can we then live this out this week. The key difference between verse 5 and verse 3 here in, in, in Matthew uh, 5, remember verse 3 was, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven, right? So there's a parallelism here that poor in spirit helps us look at our own weaknesses. It helps us understand that we're not God, He's God, and that we are finite. We struggle in sin. We are undeserving. And it's, it's a process, again, of humility, but, but this idea of meekness is approaching with gentleness and, and evacuating the idea of, of what is good for me is what I'm going to work towards. Instead, I'm going to love my enemy. I'm going to pray for those who persecute me. So very, very different. And so I love this definition. It came out of a commentary I was reading. It says, when we look honestly at ourselves, we are made humble by seeing how sinful and unworthy we are. When we look at God, we are made humble by seeing how righteous and worthy He is. Amen? Amen. John 8, 31 through 33. Jesus has just been accused by the Pharisees. The Pharisees were self-righteous individuals that were the religious leaders of the day. And they're sitting down and they're having a, a good dialogue, if you will. And the Pharisees make some accusations towards him. And this is where Jesus says, In the Father, you will be free. If you follow what I am preaching, you will be free. And one of the Pharisees, oh, they can't help themselves. Self-centered attitude. He espouses out free. What are you talking about? We're from our father Abraham. And nobody has suppressed us. We're doing fine. We're great. Have you ever, in the midst of, a, of the chaos, tried to deal with the other side and they're irrational? That's exactly the picture that's happening here in John 8. Let me tell you about the Jewish nation. They're first subjected in... I, I'm so sorry, I have to say this, Philip. Egypt. 
So they were first subjected in Egypt, and then the Babylonians, the Persians, the Assyrians, and then the Greeks, and then the Maccabean revolt gave them some independence for just a short period of time. And then who came in? The Romans. And then the Romans were oppressing them, and it was chaotic. And here you have a Pharisee saying, we're free. What are you talking about? We don't need any freedom you're talking about. Have you ever dealt with somebody that's so irrational that they, they will not recognize, they self-justify, and they, you meet a wall, right? Can I just tell you that at this point, Jesus was meek, but he also said and held them accountable and said, you are of your father, the devil. Now, that doesn't sound so meek, does it? Now, there are moments where you have to speak truth so that people will understand that what Jesus is doing here is the person put up such an irrational comment that anybody knew the history of the Jewish people would have said, what are you talking about? You are being so irrational in what you're saying to me. It's obvious something else is driving you. And we see that around us all the time, don't we? Now, here's what I'm not telling you to do. You get into a conflict with somebody and you think that they need to see Jesus, don't be telling them, unless the Lord tells you, uh, you're of your father the devil, all right? Okay, probably people aren't going to listen to you very well, all right? We'll let Jesus handle that one. But it's perfectly fine to rebuke something that is not biblical, that is not truthful, but do it with gentleness. And when we do that, we let Christ shine rather than our own self-centered attitude. We no longer enter into discussions or polemics with the challenge to win the battle. Let Jesus do that. You just be Jesus. You practice that gentleness. You practice that meekness. And then you inherit the earth. What does that mean? It means receiving one's rightful inheritance, a promise of a new heaven and new earth. Folks, this is going away, and this is actually beautiful right now, right? This isn't half bad. But you've been around when the smoke has filled the air. Not only that, you know, who knows what else is, is going to happen? Earthquakes, tornadoes. It's a, happy, it's a happy sermon, right? But you know what I'm saying is that, that this world is broken because of sin. Jesus has informed us there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that's for the sons of God, for the sons and daughters of God, that's what's promised to us as an inheritance. And I hope you want something that's untouched. I hope you believe that. I hope it drives you. I hope it inspires and illuminates you to be more and more like Christ rather than get so enamored with battling for this. My friends, people are perishing all around us and even among us because we have gotten our eyes off of Christ and we've gotten it on the things around us. Let's use the paradox that Christ preaches, Matthew 12, 15 through 21. And I'm just going to turn there so that you can hear how this was predicted. And then I'll wrap up this, after this afternoon. Great. See, I've covered all, all three, right? This morning, this afternoon, this evening. Matthew 12, 15 through 21. This is from the book of Isaiah. 
this is predictive about who the Messiah would be. God's chosen servant, verse 15, says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, gentleness, humility, not trying to promote himself. You remember all the times Jesus would heal someone, and he would say, what? Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. I'm proud to say I know many people in this church that that's what happened. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to magnify a little bit of that when we close here in a minute. But it says that he withdrew, and it says, And many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. There's the meekness. There is the picture-perfect understanding of what it means to be meek. Right? And so it says this, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. You can't get much more gentle than that, folks. Right, Alan? Like, we're out fishing, you know, we're, we're going through the reeds, and, you know. Oh, look, there's a bro. I, I'm going to go, like, way out of my way so I don't break that reed, actually. Like, I don't care. The thing's half broken anyway. But that's not what the writer Isaiah is painting as far as a picture. That Christ is so gentle that he will not break up a bruised reed and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. Does that sound sweet? This was predicted by Isaiah. Jesus has brought the justice. It is already won. So if you and I can have the attitude of Christ, be like Christ, right? The attitudes. We can let that grace of God reign in our life. We will see immeasurably more happen in the change of the hearts and the lives around us. You want to change people. You want to change the world around you. Be like Christ. Until he brings justice to victory and his name the Gentiles will hope. A beautiful demonstration out of the Old Testament of who Jesus was predicted to be, and he fulfilled it. Can you and I trust in Jesus Christ? Yes. Amen. He did exactly what he said he was going to do, what the Father said he was going to do. And then he turns it on us. And he says, you want to be a son or daughter of God? The Most High? Fun. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. They'll inherit the kingdom. Right? Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus painted the way for us, folks. Let me show you what it can look like. We have an individual here that I think is, we have many individuals, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to segment two, three. This one individual is a tradesman. Right? He's a tradesman. Those tradesmen, they can be pretty rough. Union guys, blue collar, lunch pail guys, right? <laughs> right? Those tradesmen, man, you don't mess around with them. They, they hit bowling league three nights a week. Or softball. Right? You don't mess with those trades guys. This guy's in the trades. He's been in the trades for, I don't know, 500 years. And 
I'm not sure I've met a more gentle spirit and an exact replication or fulfillment of blessed are the meek. And I do believe that this individual is going to inherit one of the sweetest gardens because he likes the outdoors. I think he's going to inherit one of the sweetest gardens in that new earth. Because no matter what he's dealt with on behalf of this church or in counseling or encouraging or sharing, he has always done it with a gentle spirit and he has never made it about his attitude. I wish I was more like Mr. Scott Parkinson, the gentleman who is our church board chairman. And if you haven't had the chance to have a conversation with Scott, you need to. Now, Scott, you got to stop cussing. So sorry. Yeah, it's all over now, bud. Another person that exemplifies this, and I think she probably prophetically knew I was going to call her out, so she's not here tonight. But another person that I think exemplifies this idea of what it means to be meek, and my apologies to those that are visiting tonight. Um, you don't know who these people are, so you should ask around. Another person that I think of is Nancy Walter. Nancy Walter exemplifies what it means to be meek. I have never heard Nancy Walter say a sour thing about somebody. She has never promoted her attitude about something. If you're part of the worship team, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because in practice, I got an amen from the front row. <laughs> because in practice, we're working through things. We're trying to figure out timings of things and arrangements. And she always, she's got great ideas, brilliant ideas. And she always defers to whoever is leading in that moment. Always. Lastly, I want to mention somebody who wasn't always meek. Now, I've only known this person for about eight years, nine years, but I've heard a little bit about their past. They weren't always meek. So you may be saying, well, it's just not in my nature, right? I'm, I'm just not wired that way. See right there, like how I got really animated? I'm not very meek. This is, this is me being meek. So, it's just not in your nature. Right? That's, I'm sorry, it's, that's not, I can't do that. Don't let a melted popsicle land on this thing. Okay, anybody got Purell? This individual comes from what it means to be the old man moving into the new man and their life has changed and this week he helped me move a 600 pound table when he was done with that he came over and he scraped the floors of MR2 on his own time while he's got two kids and another on the way after work in the heat then when he was done with that he helped with the monument sign. Then when he was done with that, he completed the entire flooring in MR2 yesterday. And yet this is an individual that in the Tongan church has been anointed in a position as their evangelist. A completely changed life. And Sony, you inspire me. 
because I I see this meekness in you right when, when we're struggling with a 600 pound slab and Pastor Jeremy's stressing out and trying to figure out what we're what, what we gonna what was that? and he's just sitting over there with a smile brother it's all it's good it's good brother <laughs> and, and he's trying to teach me the word the Tongan word for blessing I'm trying to name this table I got and uh, so uh, Tapuaki he's going yes I got it brothers and sisters how will you be characterized will be characterized as people who are meek because Jesus was scripture says that we're to be like Christ and in closing let me share with you the paradox of the grace of God reigning in your life is that we are a city on a hill light to the world and salt of the earth let's work this week at being meek through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray over us. Father, thank you for our time tonight. Thank you for the blessedness of looking at this instruction that is life-changing, that instructs us and equips us to know how to navigate the storms of life that are churning all around us. Instead of trying to come up with our own focus, our own wisdom, our own discernment, Lord, you give us understanding and depth of knowledge and wisdom and the example of Christ. And then it goes beyond our abilities by you working through us if we choose to obey your instruction. Father, that we would choose gentleness in a time where there's just cruelty all around us. That we might be that city on a hill, that light to the world and the salt to the earth. Encourage us. Lift us up. Let us be a changed people. We pray all these things in accordance to your kingdom. Amen.